Welcome back to another episode of Inquiry, a podcast by Project Tech Conferences, where we talk about all things related to tech, from school to industry. My name's Harry. I'm Annie, and together we are your co-hosts. For today's episode, we are so excited to introduce Louis Yu. Louis is a developer at Ericsson Canada, focusing on cloud technologies and performance metric observability. He grew up in Ottawa and was admitted into U of T after high school for social sciences before he decided that that path was not for him and ended up transferring to Carleton's computer science co-op program, which he graduated from in 2020. Although he's experienced a lot of roadblocks on his way to land his first full-time job at Ericsson, he has found great joy in his work, especially when it comes to seeking student talent and hiring co-ops for his own team and being able to work alongside them while gaining fresh perspectives. Lewis, we're so happy to have you on. Would you be able to start us off just by telling everyone a little more about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the introduction. And it's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Harry. So yeah, my name is Lewis. I, I'm 26 years old. I was born in Montreal, but I, uh, I was raised in Ottawa. So I spent basically all my life here. I did go to Lisgar and U of T right out of high school. I enjoy working out, uh, winter sports as well, like skating, skiing, snowboarding. And uh, I like to play video games in my spare time. All right. What initially got you interested in tech? So I'd say around high school was the time I really became interested in the industry itself. Obviously, you know, growing up, I, I'd be always on my computer, either, you know, on Facebook, playing games, um, tinkering and such. Obviously, in high school, I didn't really know what I was going to do at the time. But what I did notice was that there were a bunch of popular apps that came out. Um, pops uh, apps that we kind of know and love today, Snapchat, Instagram, Vine, if you guys remember Vine, <laughs> uh, Musical.ly, which is now TikTok. Um, and I saw how like kind of transformative they were in our culture and our daily lives. And uh, that's, that's, that's really what, that's what initially got me interested into the industry because I saw how impactful those, those, those kinds of apps were in our lives. Would you say that's still one of your biggest interests in the world of technology, the, the kind of influence that tech has? Oh, oh, for sure. Tech has become integrated, like deeply integrated into each and every one of our lives that I don't know what I would do without my phone right now, right? So definitely, definitely because of how, how large of an impact it is on our lives have I become kind of more interested in it. <laughs> awesome. I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of your academics. I understand your, your path might have been a little bit unconventional for someone going into technology. Can you tell us a little bit about the program that you studied and sort of what led to the decisions you made throughout your journey? Sure, sure. So I, I definitely had a bit of a rocky road on my journey to computer science. So as, as you said in my intro, I did start off in the social science program. Um, I was accepted into the economics major at U of T. Um, unfortunately, uh, I kind of did not really develop a good work ethic in high school. I just coasted by on just studying for tests and getting good grades on tests, right? And that really reflected on, on the grades I got. But really, there was really no work ethic there. And that really came to bite me <laughs> uh, in, in university because that's, that's all that matters in university, right? So I ended up failing first year econ. And that was really the point where I kind of was contemplating whether or not I should continue 
my program, what other programs I should try. Um, and that's when I landed on a first year coding or programming course. I, I remember taking that and enjoying that one. So I did try to get into the CS program at U of T, but at that point, because computer science was becoming so big and popular, uh, especially those first and second year uh, classes, uh, students were filling those up, especially uh, the majors themselves. There'll be so many majors that those first and second year courses were filled up by, by the majors only, and people outside of the major would not be able to take those courses. And the way U of T worked, right, is that you weren't actually uh, assigned to a major until your second year. In your second year, you'd have to apply using your first year grades. I remember at the time I tried applying with my first year uh, programming grades, but I, I couldn't get in. And then I tried again, but when I did, when I tried to get into those second year courses, um, those classes were already full and I wasn't even able to register. So I, I thought, you know, this is, I, I really can't spend more time pursuing this, at least at U of T, right? Um, so I decided to transfer to Carleton. Um, Carleton had a great CS program with a co-op designation as well. Um, U of T actually didn't do co-op. I'm not sure if they do at right now, but um, co-op was definitely one of the, the main um, attraction points that I had for Carleton. And once I was admitted, I had to start doing interviews for a summer co-op. Uh, so that was interesting, getting thrown into a new program, new school, four months later, taking a semester's worth of class and then getting thrown into interviews. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, by the way, Carlton has this like rule where uh, you can't graduate on a work term. You have to graduate on a study term. But because of how my credits worked out transferring from U of T, I would have I would have had to end on a study term just taking one course just to fulfill that requirement. I thought that was pretty stupid. Um, so I ended up dropping my co-op designation, um, obviously after my co-op placements, which really at the end of the day didn't really matter because you go into co-op for that co-op experience, right? And I already, I already got that. I did two, two, two terms worth of co-ops. So I didn't feel like I needed a, a co-op designation on my degree. And uh, yeah, after that, I graduated in 2020. Wow, that's that's quite the, the path that you had. Uh, out of curiosity, where did you do your co-op placements? Yeah, uh, so my first co-op was a, as a software tester at this uh, insure tech platform called Slice. Slice was a company that provided uh, on-demand homeowner insurance, homeowner insurance. Um, so instead of uh, writing out insurance policies for, you know, usually you have insurance policies for about a year uh, uh, or a couple of years, uh, Slice was able to actually provide a home buying insurance or homeowner insurance for short-term rental owners for days, weeks, right? It's, it was up to it was up to the homeowner to choose what days they wanted insurance. And that was the service that Slice provided. And and were both the co-op placements you did at Slice? No, that was my first, that was my first co-op placement. You're right. Um, my second one was at this company called Solus. They do event message brokering. I only worked there for four months um, and I was a software architect intern. Um, so I didn't really get to understand the actual product itself. It was mostly like a DevOps position, I'd say, um, or I guess architecture DevOps kind of kind of 
um, go hand in hand. But from what I understood about their the, the, the product was that obviously, as I said, event message brokering, they, they broker messages between two parties. So say you had a, uh, a card machine um, at a store and obviously the card machine has to communicate with the banks, right? Um, that that message um, is brokered by an event message broker like Solus, right? And this could apply to anywhere like cash registers, like like the one I just described. So it seems to me that there's a lot of different applications of tech in a variety of different spaces, like in the insurance one or, or the, the event messaging one. I think that's just so fascinating. It goes back to what you said earlier in our, uh, our conversation about the reason why you're so interested in tech is because of this kind of impact that we can have in the world. And it's crazy how many different industries nowadays are, are touched by some of the things that we can do with tech. Yeah, so were these both uh, four-month co-ops? I'm not sure if you had mentioned that. Yeah, so Slice was an eight-month co-op, and then Solus was a four-month co-op. And how were you able to fit these in your degree? Like, did you alternate between a couple of school terms and a co-op term? or? Yeah, so the eight-month term at Slice was consecutive, so I was basically a full-time employee for eight months. I did manage to take a, a course at night during my second term, you know, cause I, I really had nothing to do at night. I wanted to get a head start or I guess get a head start on my credits. So I wouldn't have to take as many courses later on. And then I, I also took a summer credit during my, my, my co-op at Solus. So I definitely do recommend taking courses during your co-ops because after work, you have a lot of spare time. You can, you can really cut down your workload for a future study term. Yeah, I think that's a smart idea, given that while you're on the your work term, you probably don't have other midterms and finals to be studying for. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot less pressure on the, on the courses that you do take. Yeah, for sure. How did you find the overall co-op program structure that Carleton University sort of delivered to you? So I, I thought it was it was okay. It was it was great actually. They had um, they had a co-op office. Obviously, they provided some workshops as to what what they what employers looked for in a resume, as well as workshops on how to write a resume. They would let you do mock interviews as well, and I think they're 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 really great at supporting the the, the co-op students. Um, and finding jobs, um, they post new postings regularly on the co-op job board. The, the one stipulation I will have about the program is the one I just mentioned, is that we have to end on a study term. And yeah, unfortunately, I didn't think it was worth it to actually do that. <laughs> if you hadn't dropped the designation part of the degree, would you have had more co-op terms or would you have been done all the placements anyway at that point? So graduate from the co-op designation, you technically need at least three co-op terms, I believe, or four. I'm, I forgot how many, but because I transferred from another school, right, I basically already had two years worth of credits. So I, I didn't think that, you know, two more co-op or one more co-op term would have justified me extending my graduation date, as well as, you know, needing to end on a study term, which would have also prolonged that for another four months, right? But I will say this, that I have a friend also at Carleton, also in the co-op program, who ended up dropping out of the co-op program because he just realized he could find internships by himself. And that these companies really, unless 
they require that co-op specification for that gov government subs subsidy. A lot of companies will only care if you're a student, right? And also, obviously, if to pay fees to be in the co-op program, right? And those fees can add up. Um, so if you're a student who isn't in a co-op program, you are still able to apply to student internships or student co-ops. All you need to do is reach out and see if, if a position is available if you're there. All right, that's interesting. So if you're not part of a co-op program, you'd still have access to applying to student internships from those companies who are just looking for students more generally. Yes, exactly, exactly. And this, this applies more so to companies in the States as well. All right, so, so given that, would you still say the co-op program was helpful in, in some of those supports that you mentioned from a career perspective earlier? And would you still recommend doing the co-op program? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good, great question. Um, I'd say for myself, I came into the co-op program uh, knowing almost nothing about the co-op program or co-op in general, right? Um, I think it did a good job as to introducing what co-op was and supporting the students as to what they would need or require to be successful. But after that initial phase, I believe, I don't think the call program, especially the fees you have to pay, are really necessary. Okay, yeah, that's a good perspective. So at the start, uh, before we have a lot of experience with getting internships or co-op, some of these supports and resources that they give are pretty helpful. But later on, once you have some of these experiences, it's probably less uh, impactful for you personally. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very great. Thanks for all those insights. I'm curious whether you feel like your time studying, spent studying economics has had any impact on kind of your path going forward in tech. Past studying economics. So especially those first years at U of T, my courses really just tailed a bunch of electives. I will say that I know there's a stigma behind, oh man, I have to take, you know, art courses as a science student, or I have to take science courses as an art student, because that's required in my program, right? But I'd say my advice would just be, take the courses that you genuinely are interested in. And even if you're interested in none of them, they will help you, you know, gain new perspectives, and, you know, you, you could learn something that you would have never have learned about before or ever in your life. Um, so I took, I remember taking linguistics, astronomy, sociology, psychology, all those courses were really, really amazing to take because I would have never have gotten the opportunity to, you know, pursue those paths down the line. And, you know, I, I feel like the stuff that I learned from those courses have been helpful to me in my day-to-day -day lives. It's very interesting. And it kind of reminds me of something uh, I think Steve Jobs said in one of his speeches where in a kind of calligraphy course that he had taken in university helped inspire some of the design elements in, in the Mac or something. I just think that's really cool how you never expect, you know, your linguistics course, for example, to end up having an impact. Yeah. And linguistics is one of those courses that I actually really loved. And at Carleton, I continue taking linguistics courses. I took this course called Abnormal Linguistics or Speech. And it basically, it was a course about different, different diseases or different conditions under which people would be unable to speak or speak with a, with a flaw. And that, that course, I learned about so many things that, that kind of I saw throughout my life and in, in, in people that I met. 
but I could never identify, right? I just thought, you know, this person couldn't speak correctly or there was something wrong with them. But in this course, this was, this, this was a course that allowed me to see, you know, these people were suffering from a, from a specific condition where that condition kind of originates in the brain, um, how it affects their lives. And, you know, it just, it was, it was, it was one of my favorite courses at Carlton for sure. <laughs> wow. Sounds, sounds very interesting. In fact, I, I think I'd like to spend a little bit of time on the internet, maybe later looking into some of these things. That you yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. So in whole, perhaps throughout your whole post-secondary career, how would you say your, your degree and your path has impacted your career after you've graduated? Yeah. So whether it be, you know, the time at UFT or at Carleton or the co-op program or your de degree in general, how has this impacted your career after you've graduated? I'd say it's definitely opened up a lot of doors, especially with, with co-op and with work placements. I'd, I'd recommend that to anyone to get their foot in the door that way, because it is a lot easier for an employer to sign you on as a student with a fixed term than a full-time employee with full salary benefits, you know, perks um, and such. So definitely try to get a placement as a student. Also, it's an opportunity to, to learn about what you like, what you dislike, what to apply for in the future, what to avoid. And I'd say my degree has really given me my job basically. And and I definitely think that co-op placements were helpful. All right. And you're now at, at Ericsson. Is that where you went immediately after you graduate? So when I graduated in 2020, that was when the pandemic started, right? So there was a lot of, you know, laying people off, um, people rescinding offers, job postings being canceled, or, you know, I just get ghosted most of the times. So that was a rough period of time, uh, right, right, there, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but I that Erickson is my first job after uh, after graduation. And I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about your your work at at Erickson. So could you describe for our audience perhaps what a typical week would look like for you in your position? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my official title is developer. That's really that's the title to give a lot of people in our company. But I mostly do uh, project management type stuff. So in a, a week in my life would generally consist of um, a lot of meetings in the mornings. Um, because Ericsson is a Swedish company, we do have a lot of teams. We have teams all over, we have teams in Europe, the States, China, but it's, it's a global company, right? So, and we work really closely with our European teams. So it would consist of meetings in the morning which would line up with Europe's afternoon. And then when Euro Europeans get off work, that's, that's our afternoon. That's, our, that's basically our lunch and our after lunch hours. That's when we have meetings with uh, ourselves locally in Ottawa, um, as well as people in our time zone. And that's in the afternoons is usually when we get to uh, do some work. Yeah. And then over the course of the week, um, we do have a couple meetings related to um, syncing, syncing up our work, uh, providing updates on what to what we're working on, if we're facing any issues, if we're facing any blockers. So yeah, that's that's about the week in my life. 
Great, very interesting. And you, I think you also mentioned that a lot of the position titles are, are developer, but you kind of focus more on, on project management. What would you say are some of the kind of things particular to project management versus a, another kind of developer? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess when you think of a developer, you think of software developer, right? They're, they're the ones working on the code, fixing bugs, implementing new features. Um, project management, at least at Ericsson, really means talking to a lot of people, right? Um, because um, our, our sub-organization within Ericsson, Cloud Ren, is fairly new. We do have a lot of new talent coming in, right? And we need to make sure that all this new talent is, is able to understand, first of all, what our current projects are, what direction we're going in, um, who to work with, uh, because we, we're with such an international company, right? We work with teams across, across continents. Um, so communication is super important between teams and project managers are there to kind of manage um, communication, manage uh, expectations and stuff like that. Going back to your uh, earlier comments about linguistics, has that come, played a role in, in your talking to people as part of your job? Oh yeah, I've uh, because I'm working with I'm actually working with the team in Ireland right now, right? And they have a pretty great accent over there. And in linguistics, I learned that you know in some uh, languages, the reason why we have accents in the first place is that those languages don't have certain phonetic sounds that we do in others. So in Japanese, there doesn't exist the L sound. Right, so they have to replace that with the R. In German, they don't have the the W sound, right? The W sound, so they have to replace that with the V. And and there's so many cases like that, not just with letters, but with with phonetic sounds as well. Um, so that was it's interesting to 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 you know listen to people with different accents, um, kind of see uh, what what words give them trouble, what what words they're comfortable in uh, speaking. Yeah. So, so <laughs> definitely helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really fascinating, and I'll try to I'll try to stop myself from asking too many questions about linguistic and and then move back to tech. <laughs> but I do I do really love hearing about it. <laughs> okay, so another question I'd have for you about your your work is: What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you faced in your career so far? I'm I'm thinking of kind of a general challenge that I've had working at a new job, um, Ericsson being my full, first full-time job, and also my previous co-op experiences. Um, just being able to get familiarized with the company, with the projects, especially at the beginning, um, kind of seeing the ins and outs of, of what each company does. It's very easy to get lost it's very easy to have doubts, especially of yourself at the beginning. Um, but I can assure you that with enough time, with the right support, um, especially talking to your coworkers who have also encountered the same thing, and I, I can guarantee you that you will encounter this as well as all your coworkers. So just getting over that initial hump, getting over those self-doubts, um, that, that was the biggest challenge for me. But you know, everyone, everyone in tech is in the same boat. Um, I'm sure if you reached out to any of your coworkers you know, or any of your friends in tech, they they say the same thing. Yeah. So know that you're not alone. 
because of your work with hiring co-ops for for your team i'd like to ask you some questions about that because i know a lot of members in our audience have a large personal interest in understanding how the co-op recruitment process works so just as an overview what, can you tell me a bit about your experience conducting interviews yeah so conducting interviews really starts off with you know reading through resume packages we get these packages from schools um, we kind of browse through them to see whether or not yeah, a candidate has the given experience, if they have any personal projects. Those are really the main two things that we're looking for. And then we look at uh, their transcripts. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say we don't look at your transcripts. <laughs> But we just we do look at transcripts just to make sure you know something didn't completely go horribly wrong. Um, but definitely experience and personal projects are the first two things that we're looking for. As far as conducting the interviews themselves, we try to keep it casual. Usually it's in the form of uh, a couple behavioral questions and then more technical questions related to the job and to the person's degree. And then we usually give a short uh, but simple coding problem at the end as well. All right. That's great. That's a very useful breakdown of what uh, someone applying might expect, uh, at least on their end, what, what the stuff they produce and, and how it will be seen by, uh, by the interviewer. So that's good to know. Having been on, on both sides of the table, so to speak, do you notice any difference between when you're being interviewed versus when you're interviewing others? I will have to give some context because I've only conducted interviews online um, and I know it can be less intimidating to do interviews online, which I totally agree. You know, you, the, I'm, I'm usually in a, in a t-shirt or a hoodie. When I was being interviewed, especially for my co-ops, I thought that, first of all, they were usually older gentlemen, um, usually in their forties or fifties. So they're really senior senior level guys and it really I, I don't know if it's because of it was the people or if it was because they wanted to keep maintain professionalism but I always felt like those interviews kind of um, were tense let's just say um, usually when you want to be in an interview we want to keep the the, the interviewer um, light, loose, you know, comfortable. Um, that way they can perform their best, right? Um, and that's that's the type of environment that I kind of want to bring to my interviews is kind of like a casual conversation. Um, really not, you know, I want to make sure that the candidate is comfortable. Um, just keep everything light and breezy, right? Uh, in terms of uh, advice for our, our interviewees, perhaps, what do you think is the most important information a candidate should bring up during their interview? Yeah, that's a great question. I wouldn't say there's a most important thing that you would, that you would want to bring up during an interview. Interviews are conducted to kind of vet the person in terms of their experience. But most importantly, we vet the candidate in terms of, are we willing to work with this person, right? So the best thing you can bring to an interview is a good attitude, a positive attitude, 
you know, willing to talk about your experience. We, we love an interviewer or we love a candidate, we love a candidate who can really talk about their experience, really show the passion they have behind their work, show their interest. And I wanted to say that interviews are mostly because we, we, we already vet you before the interview, right? We already look at your resume. We look at your experience. We look at your projects, right? Um, so the interview is really just there to see you face to face, to see whether or not we like you're, you're, you're a good person to work with, whether or not you're going to be easy to work with. Um, so make sure that comes across during the interview, because that's the only time that you're going to have that opportunity. Um, you're never going to have the opportunity with your resume or an email or, you know, further um, written correspondence, right? Right. I think that's a really good point, how the interview is the only place you can really show your, your personality and your positive attitude. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that's really smart, especially in that kind of the reason that might be particularly important is because as an employer, you know, if you don't understand some technical thing, we could teach you to do it. But if you're not a good person to work with, we're not going to want to work with you at all. <laughs> exactly. And that's honestly, that's how I landed my job at, at Solus, right? I, I asked my employer um, when I got the job, well, on my first day at work, and he was like, you were the only one that, even though you didn't know about the technologies we were using, um, you, you were the only one that showed a keen interest in, 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 in working with it and using and learning about it. Right. And yeah, that's, that's really how I landed that my, my second job there. Um, my second co-op term. That's, that's the best advice I can give. I think <laughs> that's some great advice. Just some great advice. Are there any other general tips you'd give for people perhaps interviewing for their first time? Interviewing for the first time, I'd say try not to be so nervous. I know that's not, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, for sure, we have interviewed candidates who came off as nervous, but, you know, over the course of the interview, especially if the, the interviewers um, set you up in a comfortable space, I think it'll, it'll get a lot easier uh, even throughout the course of the interview, right? Remember to be yourself, um, be honest. We love honesty. We really appreciate when, when, when candidates say, uh, or answer our question with, I don't know, or I can't speak to that, but I would want to, you know, learn about this, or I will look this up for myself. Um, so that's, that's, that's definitely an answer that we really appreciate. We always appreciate honesty. Yeah. Right. Great. And a lot of what you mentioned about nervousness might stem from kind of a lack of self-confidence when you're doing your first interview for sure. And I guess one thing that's that's on that's related to that self-confidence is is imposter syndrome. So I wanted to ask you, have you experienced imposter syndrome and do you have any tips on managing it? I'd be hard-pressed to say if no one uh, experienced imposter syndrome, especially in tech, because I think it's a very common thing especially for junior uh, employees. I'm not I'm I'm sure this is still the case for even senior employees. But because you're surrounded with so many like smart people, right? It's really easy to kind of doubt yourself or to kind of um, spiral down this, this train of thought that you don't deserve to be where you are. But I can say that, you know, everyone has those thoughts. Everyone will have those thoughts. 
and it would always be at the back of their heads. But um, there's no point in dwelling on it, right? You were hired for a reason. You were given an acceptance offer. Um, and having imposter syndrome, especially on the job, is, is really, there's no point in, in dwelling on it, right? So I'd say keep focusing on what it takes to improve yourself. Um, keep focusing on what it takes to, to learn more. Um, on how to better uh, develop your skills. And when you need advice, you seek help or you reach out to people and talk to them, right? Because I'm sure um, if you talk to someone about, you know, having imposter syndrome, um, they, they can probably relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think a really important takeaway there for our students is that, you know, even if you feel nervous and you feel like you have imposter syndrome and you're not confident in yourself, just understand that doesn't prevent you from being a great employee or being very hireable. And in fact, everyone deals with this to some extent. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's some good advice. Uh, I wanted to wrap us up off with a little bit of kind of general, more up questions that are maybe more more out there. So I guess in, Although humans perhaps aren't the best predictors of, of what the future is going to be, where do you see the future of, of tech going in your opinion? Where do I see the future of tech going? You know, it's tech has evolved so much just over the course of my own lifetime, right? I started off thinking that computers were just glorified calculators uh, that played some games sometimes, right? Um, now we have massive tech companies with like these highly complex infrastructures. Um, that have far exceeded what we would have imagined would be possible in the past, right? We have, um, especially on the R&D side of things, we have applications of AI ML, uh, AI, uh, sorry, AI machine learning, quantum computing, um, cryptography advances, security advances and such, and you know, general software reliability advances. But I think the future it's, it's really, as you said, it's impossible to predict the future. Um, but the stuff that we are working on now is already amazing, right? Um, and those incremental improvements in our, the, the stuff that we're currently working on is going to eventually reach a point where it's like gets to you know, science fiction status. Um, we, we're already living in a science fiction world, right? <laughs> so yeah, super excited about where we're going. Where we're going. Yeah, I'm excited as well. There's really a lot of stuff to look forward to, I think. And what is one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? I'd say take more risks. I know it's tough to, you know, kind of get out of your shell, do something unexpected, especially when you're younger. But I can say that um, those opportunities will not be as plentiful uh, when you get older. And now is really the time to bounce on opportunities to jump um, whenever you can onto something that you're genuinely interested in um, and take those risks, right? Um, because at least when you do those, when you do take those risks, you'll know whether or not it was worth it, whether or not it was not worth it, and whether to pursue those um, paths later in life. I guess one of the regrets I have from from my youth, I, I guess I guess I shouldn't say from my youth, but from when I was younger, um, is that I kind of played everything too safe. You know, I didn't really 
experiment, take risks. Um, and so now I'm still having those same thoughts as to, you know, what if this, what if that, um, and just recently have I started taking risks, right. Um, started to be more, um, bold in my choices and the, the, the decisions I make. And, you know, it's not, it's never too late. Right. But definitely I can see that a lot of opportunities, um, that would have been available to me while I was younger are not available to me now. So that's, that's about the best advice I can give to myself when I was young. All right. Awesome. That is great advice. You know, humans, we tend to be a little bit risk adverse and we're like, Oh, you know, what if disaster occurs, but you know, what if something really great occurs? Exactly. And especially like being young, even with taking risks and, and, and even if you do end up failing the, the cost of that is relatively low, right? I'm speaking in general. I'm not, I mean, there, I'm sure there are cases where um, that, that's, that doesn't hold true, but um, I'd say in general, taking risks while you're younger and especially failing while you're younger comes with less of a cost than when you do that when you're older. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's a great opportunity for you to learn a mistake that you might not make when you are older and the risk is higher. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Awesome. Great. I just had one last question to close us off. And is that, uh, do you have a good book recommendation for us? Yeah, I do actually. There's this book called Educated by Tara Westover. Are you familiar? Uh, no, I haven't heard of it myself. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing book. It's a memoir written by the author. I guess all books are written by the author, but <laughs> it's a memoir written by Tara who grew up devout Mormon and born into absolutely horrible living conditions and was denied an opportunity of education because of her religion, because of Mormonism. And it's just a story about how she overcame all of the problems she had uh, that came with her religion, her family, to be able to actually go to school, to be able to actually pursue a degree, and to be able to actually go to and end up getting a PhD at Oxford. Not sure if I, that's a spoiler. I guess that is a spoiler. <laughs> um, but I saw this book recommended off Barack Obama's must-read list a couple of years ago, and you know, it, it looked interesting. Um, it looked it looked like something that I would never really get to read. Um, so, especially because it's like a first person account of this person's life, of Tara's life, um, really is a testament to the resilience of the human will. All right. Well, that's all the questions I had for you today, Lewis. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for having me. That concludes season two, episode eight of The Inquiry. Thanks for tuning in and having us be part of your journey to code your future. Make sure to follow us on social media to stay in the loop and for a chance to have your questions answered in our next episode. See you there.